Matthew chapter 3, page 960. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So let's hear God's word. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at this passage together. Jesus said, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Heavenly Father, we trust that there has been great rejoicing in heaven by the angels as Robbie and Tommy have come to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. And our prayer this morning is, is that even today that there would be more rejoicing in heaven by them same angels over sinners who are among us this morning, who come and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. We pray this for our good and for your glory, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, we've just witnessed Robbie and Tommy being baptised as they profess repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. We've heard how they came to the, the courageous decision to be dunked under these waters of baptism here this morning. And what I want us to think about now is why, as we've just read from Matthew chapter 3, why did Jesus get baptised? Jesus had no sins that he needed to repent of. So why did Jesus get baptised? Well, as we look at this passage together, I want to tell you right up front that Jesus got baptised because by being baptised, Jesus joined us in our failure so that we might join him in his family. By being baptised, Jesus joined us in our failure so that we might join him in his family. Let me show you that now from the passage as we see firstly that by being baptised, Jesus joined us in our failure. That the scene, the setting in which Jesus got baptised was one of a failure's convention. Some of you have been down to the XL Exhibition Centre, down the road in Custom House. And, and recently, crowds of people have been enjoying exhibitions, uh, such as the, the Clean and Tidy Home Show, and Olympia Beauty, offering the best brands, beauty and treatments. Perhaps some of us here this morning could have, been, could have done with visiting one or both of those exhibitions. But notice, notice here in Matthew chapter 3, that crowds of people are gathering, not to a beautiful convention centre, but to a barren wilderness. And they're not gathering to declare that they're worth it, but rather that they are unworthy. At the preaching of John the Baptist, people come out, verse 5, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the region about the Jordan, not to declare that they've made it in life but rather to confess that they failed. Not to declare that their homes or rather their lives are all neat and clean and tidy, but rather to confess that they are unclean. Do you see verse 6? And they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. These crowds came confessing their sins. They came acknowledging that they were spiritually unclean, dirty, grubby, soiled before a holy and righteous God. And so they came to be baptized, to be dunked under the water, to symbolize the washing away of their uncleanness, the cleansing of their sins. I'm sure all of us have known what it's, what it's like to feel dirty and unclean on the outside and in need of a good old wash. Uh, perhaps after hard grafting at work all day or uh, spending too long on the sun lounger, if only. Or uh, perhaps after playing football on a, a waterlogged pitch or as my boys love to do by just 
willingly jumping in filthy, dirty, muddy puddles. You've known what it's like to be dirty on the outside. But have you ever felt like you needed the hottest, most powerful shower to wash not just your outside, but your inside as well? To wash away all the grubbiness of your sinful thoughts, desires, words, actions, your past. Perhaps you're here this morning and you wish more than anything that you could, you could put your whole life in the washing machine and turn it on the hottest setting and it come out clean, pure, new again. Well, here are these crowds confessing their failure, their spiritual uncleanness, as they line up to receive this ritual washing of baptism. But then notice also that among this failures convention, and not only those who are spiritually unclean, but also those who are spiritually unfruitful. We're told in verse 7 that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to where John was baptizing. Now these guys were the religious elite. They thought of themselves not as spiritual failures, but as spiritual successes. They were moral, they were clean. They kept the rules. And so they came out not to confess their sins and be baptized, but, but rather to carry out a sort of religious Ofsted inspection on John and his ministry. But notice that rather than rolling out the red carpet for them in order to get a sort of good inspection report, listen to how John welcomes them. Do you see verse 7? He sees them come in and he says, You brood of vipers. I mean, talk about how to win friends and influence people. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Produce fruit, bear fruit. In keeping with repentance. Verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit. Is cut down and thrown into the fire. You may remember how a few weeks ago. The, the story headlining our news was of a tree. That had been cut down. Which by the way we've what's going on in the. Middle East at the moment, don't we wish that the worst thing happening in our world right now was a tree that had been cut down? But anyway, overnight, vandals had cut down that picturesque tree uh, that sat in Sycamore Gap beside Hadrian's Wall. We saw it there on the news, didn't we? A tree that had appeared in movies and music videos. A tree which had adorned countless pictures. Now lay dead and dying. Cruelly cut off from its roots, its source of life and fruitfulness. And you know, in a way, that, that illustrates the story and the condition of the human race. We were created by God to be connected to him and his life. But our sin separates us. It disconnects us. It cuts us off from him. Leading us, leaving us spiritually dead and dying. 
And you see, the mistake that these religious guys were making was, was in thinking that all their religiousness, their morality, and their works, and their pedigree was enough to connect them back to God, to make them spiritually fruitful before him. But John warned them in verse 9. He said, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, all of your religiousness, it counts for nothing when it comes to making yourself acceptable to God. I wonder if some of you here this morning are in danger of making that same mistake. Perhaps unlike the, the great unwashed out there, the spiritually unclean, perhaps you consider yourself a pretty, pretty decent person, moral, upright. You try and keep your nose clean. You try and keep the rules. And after all, you're here in church this morning. Perhaps you've grown up in a Christian family. You've been christened or baptised or confirmed. And yet, like that felled tree in Sycamore Gap, or like those Christmas trees that will soon be adorned in our front rooms, that have been cut down, the reality is we can dress ourselves up in all sorts of religious decorations. But if we're not connected to God through repentance and faith in Jesus, the Bible says the reality is we are spiritually dead and dying. Lifeless and fruitless before him. Well here then is this failures convention. Here are those who are spiritually unclean and who know it. Here are those who are spiritually unfruitful but who don't know it. And like these crowds, whether you are aware of it or not this morning, the Bible says that all of us, me, you, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, if we're relying upon them to connect us to God, all of them righteous acts are like filthy rags. Spiritually unclean and spiritually unfruitful. And John warns us that this is a great problem, verse 7, because there is a coming wrath. You've seen, haven't you, on our news, protest marches across our city, across our nation over the last few weeks. And at protest marches, you often see or hear the, the slogan, no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. And it's true, isn't it? Until those who are facing injustice get justice, they will never be able to enjoy perfect peace. And friends, the Bible says that a day is coming, the day on which Jesus returns from heaven, when there will be perfect peace on earth. And it will come about by Jesus bringing his perfect justice, his perfect judgment, as he brings his wrath upon all those who have breached the peace by the things they've done wrong against him and against one another. John uses this imagery of a farmer in verse 12. 
when he speaks of the Lord coming with his winnowing fork in his hand to clear the, the wheat into the barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And that means that it's not just the, the terrorists and the warmongers and the big sinners who will face Jesus' perfect justice, his perfect judgment. It also means that you and I will face his perfect justice, his judgment, described here as, as unquenchable fire for all of our spiritual uncleanness and our spiritual unfruitfulness. Here are those who are spiritually unclean. Here are those who are spiritually unfruitful. Here are crowds of people who left to themselves are standing in the eye of the storm of God's coming wrath. And who should turn up to this failure's convention? John tells us, verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee, to the Jordan. Jesus. Jesus, the one who at his birth was declared to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the one who was worshipped by the wise men as the king of the Jews. Jesus, the one who John declared to be more powerful than he. Jesus, the one whose shoelaces John wasn't even worthy to untie. Jesus, the one who would baptize not with holy water, but with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one who will judge at the end of time. And as this Jesus comes across this failure's convention of unclean, unfruitful sinners who are under God's wrath, do you see what he does? Well, let me firstly tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't stand at the water's edge to condemn or to consume in judgment, even though that's what they deserved. Do you see verse 13? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Jesus comes to join this bunch of spiritual failures in being baptised. Isn't that incredible? John certainly thought so. John would have prevented him, verse 14, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus, you got it the wrong way round. I'm a sinner in need of cleansing, not you. I'm baptising people in anticipation for the king's arrival, but you are the king. What are you doing? Well, what was Jesus doing? Here's what he was doing. He was joining us in our failure. Jesus jumps to the head of the queue. We hate queue jumpers, don't we? We don't mind this one, though. Jesus jumps to the head of the queue. And he gets baptized. Not because he had any sins that needed to be confessed or uncleanness that needed to be cleansed. But so that he might number himself with the transgressors, so that he might identify himself with us in our failure and point to the way in which we might receive cleansing and forgiveness. 
The word baptism means to, to plunge or to immerse, and we've had a visual de demonstration of that here this morning. And three years after this, Jesus would undergo another baptism. His baptism with water here in the Jordan River points forwards to his baptism of judgment as he died on the cross. You see, just as Jesus willingly and voluntarily allowed himself to be plunged beneath those waters by John, so three years later, Jesus voluntarily and willingly allowed himself to be plunged beneath the waves of his father's judgment as he hung on the cross. There on the cross, Jesus allowed himself to be not simply numbered with transgressors, but to be numbered, to be counted as the great transgressor as he died not for his failures, but for ours. Not for his sins, but for ours. As he bore the perfect justice, the perfect judgment that you and I deserve so that we might receive cleansing and forgiveness. There on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, uh, when you go to conventions or when you go to conferences, often you, you have to wear a name badge, an ID badge, to, to identify yourself. Well, as Jesus strides to the front of this queue at this failures convention, it's as if he takes off everyone's, everyone's name badge, which were entitled failure, and he sticks them onto himself. And he's plunged beneath those waters to symbolize the way in which we can receive his name badge, his name, his status, that of being in his family. And so we read verse 15, John consented and baptized Jesus as he joined us in our failure, secondly, so that we might join him in his family. We read verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here at Jesus' baptism, we see a snapshot of Jesus' family. The divine family, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, the ultimate family. As Jesus, God the Son, comes up out of the water, he's anointed and equipped by God the Spirit. And God the Father booms out his love for him and his endorsement of him as his eternal Son and the Saviour of the world. Uh, back in uh, 2012, during the Olymp uh, London Olympics, just up the road, there was a, a South African swimmer called Chad Leclerc. And he beat the American legend, uh, Michael Phelps, in the 200 metres uh, butterfly in a world record time. And immediately afterwards, the, the presenter, Claire Borden, he, he, she grabs Chad's dad called Bert, 
Bert Leclerc, this rotund South African geezer, and he's beaming from ear to ear. And she tries to interview him, but all he can say is, unbelievable, 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 unbelievable. Look at my boy. He's beautiful. Look at me. I'm so fat. But look at my boy. I love him. He's beautiful. Un I mean, he said unbelievable like 20 times in a couple of minutes. Unbelievable. And as I watched that clip back this week, I thought to myself, wouldn't it have been amazing to be that son in that moment? To have that father booming out across the world, such love and joy and pride over you. And here at his baptism, we see that Jesus is the son who is truly worthy of his father's unbelievable, his eternal love and joy and pride you know I don't know what your relationship with your earthly fathers or your families are like perhaps it's one where you feel unwanted unloved underappreciated misunderstood Perhaps it's one where no matter what you do or how much you earn or, or what you achieve, you're never good enough. But the wonder of the gospel message, the wonder of Jesus is that he, the beautiful, perfect, unbelievable son of God, entered into our world in order that he might take our sinful name and status and in return give us his name and status, that of a precious, known, understood, loved child in the family of God. Well, how is this possible? How is it possible to join Jesus in his family? How should we respond to, to Jesus joining us in our failure so that we might join him in, us, in his family? Well, that brings us on to our last point, which is to say that by being baptized, Jesus joined us in our failure so that we might join him in his family. Therefore, repent and be baptized. As John the Baptist arrives on the scene to prepare people for Jesus' arrival, his headline message is repent. There it is, verse 2. Do you see? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent means to make a U-turn. To turn around, to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. You know, often in politics, opposition parties will accuse the government of making U-turns, of, of changing their minds over one policy or another, as if you should never make U-turns. But the reality is sometimes you should make U-turns. Many years ago, my older brother, who happens to be here this morning, Michael, was, was driving us around in Malaysia when he made a wrong turn and he started driving down a busy free lane one-way system and uh, if you've ever been in a car with Micah this won't surprise you one bit uh, and in that moment 
It was, it was right. It was good. It was proper for Micah to repent. To have a change of mind from I'm heading in the right direction to I'm heading in the wrong direction. And there's danger coming towards me. And that change of mind had to then translate to a change of action as he stopped and turned the car around and started heading in the right direction before he killed us all. And friends, in the same way, in order to join Jesus in his family, we must repent. Like these crowds, this means confessing our sins. Acknowledging that we've been going in the wrong direction. That we've become spiritually unclean. It means realizing that all our religiousness can never pay for our sins or connect us back to God. And in the light of the danger ahead, the wrath to come, it means turning from ourselves and turning to Jesus as the one who is more than willing and able to cleanse us from our sins and connect us into his family through his death on the cross. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. To repent. Repent because there is danger to avoid the wrath to come. But not only is there danger to avoid, but in repenting there is also delight to be had in the family of God. You see, as you profess repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, you receive his name, his status, his achievements. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was, there was a bit of a hoo-ha surrounding uh, this man called Nick Adderley, who's the um, chief constable of um, Northamptonshire Police Force. And it turned out that this geezer, Nick, he had been accused of improperly wearing the South Atlantic Medal which was awarded to British uh, military personnel and civilians for service in the 1982 Falklands conflict. And the problem was that dear old Nick was only 15 years old when the Falklands War began. And so when when he was confronted with these allegations, Nick came out and he acknowledged that, yeah, okay, the medal is in fact not mine, but it's my brother's. And the point is this, while Nick... Uh, tried to pass off his brother's medals as his own, wrongly. The wonderful news of the gospel is that when we profess repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, we rightly, justly, wonderfully, we receive Jesus' medals. We receive all his achievements and we get to wear them before the Father. We get them and they're given to us as if they were very, our very own. He takes our name tag of failure and in return we receive his name, his status, his achievements. And this means that through his baptism of death on the cross, you're not only cleansed and forgiven from all and every sin, but Jesus' clean and holy life is counted as your clean and holy life before the Father. 
This means that just as the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to equip and empower him, so Jesus promises to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so enable and empower you to live a fruitful and useful life, a changed life, as Tommy has just testified to. This means that just as God the Father boomed out his love and joy and pride over Jesus, his eternally unbelievable son, so now in Jesus, wearing his name and his status, you may hear God saying over you this morning, even over you, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. Well, as we draw to a close, let me just ask you, challenge you, and say, will you give Jesus your name tag this morning? Will you give him your name and status, that of spiritual failure, unclean and unfruitful facing his coming wrath and will you ask him as he will most certainly will to give you his name his status his achievements to forgive your sins to bring you back into the ultimate family the family of God and then as we've witnessed this morning like Tommy and Robbie will you demonstrate your repentance towards God and faith in Jesus, by being baptised, by publicly declaring that you've, you've joined Team Jesus, that you're wearing his name and status, and you've come into his family. I'm going to finish by saying a short prayer that you can pray along with me in your heart. There's nothing magical about the words themselves, but if this morning you want to repent and believe, then feel free to Use these words to express that trust. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Let's pray together. Dear God, I confess a lifetime of sins against you. I confess that I am spiritually unclean and in need of cleansing and forgiveness. I acknowledge that no amount of religiousness can ever connect me back to you. And I understand that I deserve your coming wrath. But thank you for loving me so much that you sent your eternal, unbelievable son, Jesus, to come into this world to save sinners like me. I believe that when he died on the cross, he was dying in my place for my sins to take the judgment that I deserve so that I might receive cleansing and forgiveness and new life in your family. I want to repent, to turn from myself and my sins, and to turn to Jesus in faith. 
Thank you for hearing my prayer. For I pray in Jesus' name.